0: You are listening to the Marilyn Manson Cases Podcast, the podcast discussing the accusations, lawsuits, and legal news surrounding shock rocker Marilyn Manson. Please note topics include allegations of abuse. Some may find disturbing. Hey everyone, this is Lisa from TheMansonCases.com and welcome to the sixth episode of the Marilyn Manson Cases Podcast. Today, I will be discussing some recent updates in the lawsuits filed against Marilyn Manson. Primarily, this episode will focus more on updates in Manson's lawsuit against Evan Rachel Wood and Ashley O'Magore, since there are several updates stemming from Ashley Morgan Smithline recanting her allegations against him, where we now have new legal filings in response, including Evan Rachel Wood providing a new declaration where she makes new allegations against Manson. Now, before I jump into some of these updates, I did wanna mention quickly that the Manson Cases website is now live. So if you are someone like me who prefers to see what is going on by reading the documents yourself, well, then MansonCases.com is where you can download these documents to read. Just keep in mind that not all of the legal documents are on the website yet, as I will have a lot of documents to purchase and continuously add to the website. And at some point, you can also expect more informational types of posts as they relate to these lawsuits, but for now make sure you sign up for the newsletter located on the website to keep up to date as I add new court filings to the website. So real quickly, I wanna discuss two updates in other lawsuits before focusing on Marilyn Manson's lawsuit. The first update pertains to Bianca Kine's lawsuit against Marilyn Manson. So if this is your first time listening to this podcast, then here's a brief introduction to Bianca Kine. Bianca Kine came forward alongside Evan Rachel Wood in February, 2021 with allegations against Manson, except the name she used in the media at the time was Bianca Elaine, and she is known to have used a variety of different names online over the years, which is also detailed on her Wikipedia page, which still exists. Anyways, her allegations were detailed in two articles for The Sun, yes, a tabloid, and later featured in a podcast episode where Bianca detailed her allegations. As I discussed back in my fourth podcast episode, there was a new lawsuit filed against Manson back in late January, where it largely was reported by the media as a Jane Doe lawsuit with claims of sexual assault as a minor. But as of today, it now is in her legal name of Bianca Kine, which, by the way, she never claimed prior in any of these interviews about being a minor. In fact, before I get into the update, let's hear a quick clip of what she did say back in a February 2021 podcast episode.
1: So when is the next time that you saw or communicated with with Brian Warner?
2: Probably on, on in chat rooms. Um, off and on. Uh, You know, there were chat rooms and, you know, he was very easily accessible still at the time. I don't even know if they had their website launched, but he was using AOL and Um, So, you know, kind of kept in touch with him. But my sexual experiences with him didn't really begin until, and this is where people are gonna start blaming me. (laughs)
1: nobody's gonna blame you
2: um when i was about 19 and i you want me to start from there because this in los well,
1: did angeles you see, did you see him before you know you communicated on aol and, and like you said you know back in the day we had these things called chat rooms um mm-hmm. which don't really exist any longer yeah um but there were all kinds of different ones and so you communicated with him on, on chat rooms and stuff in between 16 and 19 did you see him at all in between those I saw one of his shows,
2: probably one or two of his shows, but I didn't go backstage or anything at that time. Not until 1999. Okay.
0: It is also worth noting Manson's attorney responded in a statement claiming he never met or had an intimate relationship with this woman. For context, some of her prior accusations would have occurred while he was dating Rose McGowan in the late 1990s. To explain the latest update in Bianca Cain's lawsuit, attorney and YouTuber Steve of Southern Law details this quick update. Take a listen.
1: So if you'll recall this case, uh, which was removed to federal court by Manson, is now going back to state court. The court on its own motion has remanded the case back to state court. So the federal court is dropping this case and sending it back to the state where the state will assume jurisdiction again. What's going on here? Well, I think I've made three videos about this case so far, and in all three, I've mentioned at different times the possibility of this remand. So there's nothing mysterious about this. I really figured there was a good chance that this would happen. This kind of case that started in state court, and Manson's the one who wants it in federal court, and he needs to show the federal court they have subject matter jurisdiction for a diversity case. So the two problems the court said, well, the one was fully expected was it doesn't say in the complaint that you, She wants more than $75,000, and that's required for jurisdiction. And while it's probable, you didn't show us that. And also, the court noted, as they have in other cases, you easily could ask the plaintiff to tell you how much damages she wants. And then once you have that, you can remove the case to federal court if other factors are met. So... That flaw figured already existed. It did. The court called him out on it and sending the case back. And then he can get this. And when she says it's how much ever money, which will be over 75000 that would remove that obstacle. He could potentially remove it again. The court also notes another defect in that while Manson says, I think he said the, the other defendant's consented or didn't object to the removal or whatever well the court says you know they need to do that themselves it's not sufficient for you to tell us about it merely advise us about that we've got to have uh, some affirmative representation or you've got to establish facts for an exception that didn't happen either The main situation was the money. You got to go clarify that. It's just how it is. They don't set out the amount of money in state court complaints pretty much due to the rules they have there. And so you're supposed to ask them. And when they tell you and it's over 75,000 and you meet the other requirements, you can go back to federal court. So it will go back to state court and sit there for a little bit at least and potentially come back up to federal court. It just depends on what happens in state court.
0: Moving forward to the next update, this actually relates to Esme Bianco's former lawsuit. If you don't recall back in January, we learned she settled her lawsuit with Marilyn Manson. Now, there hasn't been a lot of details about this settlement, but we do learn some new details in the article breaking the Ashley Morgan Smith line story where Ashley recants her allegations against Manson. This was an exclusive with Page Six. So let's read what this article has to say as it relates to Esme Bianco's settlement. Quote, When asked whether the settlement was a way to financially compensate an alleged victim in order for them to quietly go away, King tells Page Six that Bianco was the only one who has gotten paid and that she got a fraction of what she was asking for. It was paid for primarily by an insurance company, the top Hollywood attorney adds. Had we known that Smithline was going to come forward with this type of information, Brian would not have paid a cent even if it was insurance company money. We were facing months and months of legal fees, the insurance money was running out, and the insurance company offered to pay a significant portion of the settlement, he further explains. King claims that it would not have been costly for Bianco to continue fighting the suit on her behalf because lawyers representing alleged victims are paid via a contingency fee, meaning the attorneys don't get paid unless they win the case. I reached out to both attorneys and YouTubers, Andrea Burkhart and Steve of Southern Law, for their take on this new information. Take a listen.
3: I think it confirms what many of us suspected and and commented at the time was that this was probably a nuisance settlement. Uh, It's just an unfortunate reality, particularly for people in Hollywood, high profile people, deep pocket people, uh, that they get sued for frivolous reasons all the time. Uh, And as much as you might want to uh, dig in and and fight. Uh, there are costs to that, and in this particular case, uh, the cost is really forcing Manson to have to. F- fight a multiple front war. Uh, It's very demanding on his resources. Uh, His attorneys uh, have to focus in all of these different areas at the same time. He would be in a much stronger position if he's able to consolidate all of his resources and really target the case that is his priority, which is that lawsuit against Evan Rachel Wood and Ilma Gore. So from a strategic standpoint, uh, it makes a lot of sense why he would choose to settle even though he does continue to maintain his innocence. So the fact as well that uh, that settlement was achieved without any type of concession of wrongdoing, any type of apology, nothing like that at all, uh, is kind of a further indication that this was ultimately just about the money. And uh, once they were able to sit down and kind of work out the math of what needed to happen for Esme Bianco to go away without any kind of vindication of, of her claims, uh, then they were able to do that so that he could uh, move forward and, and continue to fight the fight that was important.
1: So I think there's, that's a good comment for him to make here, whether it's true or not in terms of what he's saying. It has the effect of saying that it was a strategic settlement rather than a fact-based settlement. And if they had had the Smith line deck, they wouldn't even have done that. So it helps PR-wise put Manson's narrative back on top for why and how the Smith line Bianco suits ended.
0: Okay, moving forward to updates in Marilyn Manson's lawsuit against Evan Rachel Wood and Ilma Gore, where he is alleging a conspiracy to cast him publicly as a rapist and abuser. If you listened to my last podcast episode, it hyper-focused on Ashley Morgan Smithline recanting her allegations against him, and her three-page declaration was filed in his lawsuit, seemingly to challenge the upcoming anti-slap free speech arguments since both evan and ilma are claiming free speech protections from some items detailed in his lawsuit so i highly recommend going back to that episode where i go into more detail but as expected both evan and ilma's attorneys responded with their own legal filings to challenge the declaration and steve of southern law is going to explain the outcome of this recent court date take a listen
1: Hey guys, the judge decided today on Manson's ex parte request to have Smithline's declaration considered for the Ainslap hearings. She decided against Manson. She will not let him bring in the declaration. So that should mean it will not be a factor in the April hearing. The the matter had already been fully briefed. The judge had told them no more evidence of course, Manson had, I think, pretty good reasons to say, listen, this wasn't evidence we could have brought earlier. It's material to the case, the interest of of justice say we should be allowed to bring it in. But of course, on the other side, uh, Wood says, listen, this doesn't meet ex parte requirements. Plus it's too late. The judge ruled it, the rules are against it. We gotta have some deadlines. And the judge, I suppose, decided, hey, you could have asked for this deposition earlier. Uh, no reason for it to be coming up now yeah i don't know about that one but it is fully in her discretion this motion's been pending forever uh, waiting finally potentially maybe to be solved in april but manson will have to do it without smith lines declaration now that doesn't mean he can't be used in some other case or even this case later on although this case will probably go on ice for appeal by whoever loses the anti-slap and however for the pr side it's certainly great for manson and It seems Smithline is singing the same song, criticizing Wood. So this is still a very big uh, win for him, even if the judge isn't going to let him use it for this motion. Why wasn't the declaration allowed for anti-slap? The basic reason is there are deadlines to present briefs and evidence like there are for anything to do with the lawsuit. There's always a deadline. And those deadlines for the anti-slap stuff is long past. The judge has already commented that a while back she said, don't try and bring up any new stuff. So that's the reason it wasn't allowed in. The judge could have made an exception, but it would be an exception and she declined to do that. This of course only applies to the anti-slap. It doesn't affect the affidavit for any other purpose or use, however, that's by nature limited. It's not like Manson can go to trial and just read this affidavit into evidence. If he wants Smithline to testify for him, she would have to show up to do that where she can be cross-examined. There are a few exceptions to that, but this affidavit isn't one of them. And remember, in any slap cases, you're supposed to have some evidence of the claims you bring anyway, enough to support them. So I'm sure the judge thought, you know, if you had some evidence like you were supposed to, you wouldn't need any of this stuff anyway. You're not supposed to get any discovery and you really weren't trying for this. And it's way too late anyway. So I'm just not going to let it in. Would I rule differently? Yeah, probably. But she was ruling in compliance with the rules themselves and also her prior ruling. So what can you say?
0: So, let me read this three-page declaration by Evan Rachel Wood so you can hear what she has to say in response to Ashley Morgan Smithline's declaration. I, Evan Rachel Wood, declare as follows. I am a defendant in this action. I submit this declaration in support of my opposition to plaintiff's ex parte application for leave to submit the February 19, 2023 declaration of Ashley Morgan Smithline in support of plaintiffs' oppositions to defendants' anti-slap motions. If called as a witness, I could and would competently testify to all the facts within my personal knowledge except where stated upon information and belief. I never pressured or manipulated Ashley Morgan Smithline to make any accusations against plaintiff Brian Warner, and I certainly never pressured or manipulated her to make accusations that were not true. It was Ms. Smithline who first contacted me in March 2019. Specifically on March 11, 2019, I posted an Instagram post with quotes about being a survivor of domestic violence from a podcast on which I had appeared. At that time, I had spoken publicly about being a survivor of abuse, including in testimony before the United States Congress, but I had not yet publicly named Mr. Warner as my abuser. Ms. Smithline publicly commented on my March 11, 2019 Instagram post stating, quote, when he had me captive in the stupid ballet studio, I cringed hearing him brag about replaying that scene from Rules of Attraction to you. I thought no one would ever talk about this. Ms. Smithline then replied to her first comment, tagging me and herself and said, quote, sorry, that really hit me hard today. A true and correct copy of a July 21, 2022 screenshot of my March 11, 2019 Instagram post and Ms. Smithline's comments to the post is attached hereto as Exhibit A. Before Ms. Smithline publicly commented on my March 11, 2019 Instagram post in Exhibit A, I had not met her, I had not communicated with her, and I did not know who she was. But in her comments, Ms. Smithline referenced information about my private experiences with Mr. Warner that was not publicly available at that time. Specifically, Mr. Warner once abused me while he made me watch a particular scene from the movie Rules of Attraction. Mr. Warner and I were the only two people in the room when that abuse occurred. The first and only time I ever met Ms. Smithline in person was at the October 21, 2020 meeting of survivors, which was filmed for the HBO documentary Phoenix Rising. Prior to that meeting, I had never spoken to Ms. Smithline on the phone. During the October 2020 meeting, Ms. Smithline described abuse that she claimed Mr. Warner inflicted upon her. Ms. Smithline has always told me that she was abused by Mr. Warner. I had several communications with Ms. Smithline via private messages on Instagram after People magazine published on or around May 5th, 2021, an article about Mr. Warner's abuse of Ms. Smithline. Attached here to as Exhibit B is a true and correct copy of excerpts from my May 5th, 2021 Instagram communications with Ms. Smithline. Attached to as Exhibit C is a true and correct copy of excerpts from my May 10, 2021 Instagram communications with Ms. Smithline. In the attached Instagram communications, Ms. Smithline's statements are on the left side of the screen and my statements are on the right side of the screen in gray bubbles. I posted a story on Instagram that included a screenshot of the headline of an October 3, 2021 article in Metal Zone entitled, Accuser admits Marilyn Manson was planning to kill Evan Rachel Wood. On October 5, 2021, Ms. Smithline sent me an unsolicited reply to my Instagram story stating, I second that. He said I'm going to kill my ex so many times. Attached here to as Exhibit D is a true and correct copy of Ms. Smithline's October 5, 2021 message to me on Instagram. Again, Ms. Smithline's comments are on the left and mine are on the right. I communicated with Ms. Smithline via Instagram on March 12, 2022, after Mr. Warner filed the present lawsuit. Attached hereto as Exhibit E, are true and correct copies of excerpts from my March 12, 2022 Instagram communications with Ms. Smithline. Ms. Smithline's comments are on the left and mine are on the right. Ms. Smithline sent me a message through Instagram on April 27, 2022. We then had additional communications through Instagram on May 4th and 5th, 2022. Attached here to as Exhibit F are true and correct copies of excerpts from my Instagram communications with Ms. Smithline on April 27, 2022, May 4th, 2022, and May 5th, 2022. Ms. Smithline's comments are on the left and mine are on the right. I declare under penalty of perjury under the laws of the state of California and that the foregoing is true and correct. Executed on February 26, 2023 at Toronto, Canada, Evan Rachel Wood. If you listened to my last podcast episode about Ashley Morgan Smithline recanting her allegations, then you'll know this was not a surprise response. As I detailed previously, Ashley's declaration did not mention anything prior to the October 2020 quote survivors meeting as seen in HBO's documentary Phoenix Rising. She also does not specifically state the quote survivors meeting as being her first and only time interacting with any of the accusers. But Evan and her attorneys wasted no time in making that a point. Even though the wording of Ashley's own declaration does not actually say it was the first time she interacted with Evan is a detail being overlooked. Because I still believe Ashley not discussing anything prior to 2020 is intentional and possibly even part of a legal strategy. So here's some of my thinking. First, Ashley's declaration was used to challenge the quote recruitment aspect of the anti-slab arguments, which is why her declaration is hyper-focused on the October 2020 timeframe as it relates to Manson's lawsuit. So this is likely not going to be Ashley's full declaration or her testimony. And I speculate we will hear a lot more about this in the future even if it is further out into a trial. The second, as I've mentioned previously, is we know Ashley was part of Evan Rachel Wood's March 2019 hashtag movement called the I Am Not Okay movement, with Evan now claiming during the same time period that it was Ashley that reached out to her. But if you listen to what I just read from Evan's own declaration, she actually doesn't explain how Ashley reached out to her. And what I mean by that is, she just states Ashley left a comment on her Instagram post back in March 2019, and that Ashley's accusations were so similar and specific that they must be true, kind of working at this angle of Ashley is still a victim. In fact, Evan now adds a new abuse claim based on the comment Ashley purportedly left on her Instagram. Now, I have followed this and other Manson-related lawsuits long enough to know there is typically a strategy to legal filings, and I highly suspect there could be a reason why this time frame is purportedly not mentioned, as I also suspect that Manson's attorneys could have known she would have responded in this way, because again, it's largely well known Ashley was part of this March 2019 hashtag movement. It's certainly not a secret. I mean, it's continuously talked about and out there on the internet, especially as it relates to multiple accusers who were part of this hashtag movement, who later came forward with their own accusations against Marilyn Manson. To just name a few of those accusers, we already know Evan Rachel Wood, but then there's Esme Bianco, who, by the way, also claims to be the co-creator of the Phoenix Act and Ashley Walters, who is Manson's former personal assistant, who was fired by him twice. My point is, Marilyn Manson's attorneys are not dumb. They seem to put out very little information and then, eventually, surprise us with evidence we did not expect coming. Let me just give you one example of what I mean. Back in October 2022, Ilma Gore sat for a deposition in this lawsuit. Her deposition related to her state of mind as it related to Manson's short art horror film called Groupie, to which it's alleged she defamed Manson by telling people this unreleased film that she had never seen was child pornography, the actress was a minor, and that the actress is now dead. And the only way she could have learned anything about this film is by Evan Rachel Wood or some other accuser who had watched it because again, Ilma Gore has never met Marilyn Manson. But anyway, we learned that during this deposition, audio evidence was played to Ilma Gore, which was news to many of us reading these filings because we never knew audio evidence existed. Now keep in mind, Manson's attorneys could have mentioned this in his lawsuit or put it out there in the media at any time, but they chose not to. They did not even give a hint that audio recordings existed not until we read this later on in the deposition. We don't know what it says or what it's from. Now, we, not until we later learn of this from the deposition. Now, we don't know what it says at that is not detailed in the transcripts and we don't even know who it's from. But my overall point is there is a lot we don't know in terms of strategy. Yet we likely have not seen the last of Manson's evidence, and how this might relate to why Ashley's declaration was written in this way, while likely expecting a response from Evan detailing the March 2019 Instagram comment. I mean, I could be wrong, some of this is speculation, but I feel like there's more we will not know until down the road, as anything Evan says in her declaration can now be used to impeach any of her testimony she later gives at a trial.